It takes more than closing 45 open tabs about the CSS spec to be a software engineer. This is episode 140 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, and I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer your questions about all the non-technical parts of software development, and we talk about the CSS spec, I guess. <laughs> it's complex. Well, you know, the, you know what CSS stands for. I thought I did until you asked me that question. I'm like, well, this would be a really boring answer. If I, I, <laughs> I don't know what the C stands for, but the rest of it stands for soft skills, clearly. Oh, okay. C soft skill, CSS soft skills. That's what it stands for. <laughs> Recursive soft skills acronym. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. It's all simplified. <laughs> we have some wonderful patrons to thank. Do you want to talk about those folks? Yes, thank you to those who are contributing at the level that gets them a shout-out every week on the show. They are Chris Hogan, Nick Kantar, Zach Grannon, Matthew Wodowicz, David Jackson, Arno Engelin, Fedor Rusak, The Agile Ventures Charity, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Sean Clayton. Thank you so much for your contributions. This episode is sponsored by Pluralsight. Pluralsight is hiring software engineers, data scientists, and machine learning engineers in Boston and Salt Lake City. Go to pluralsight.com slash soft skills to see what job openings are available. All right, we got a comment from a listener. It's, hey, sorry about this. Lately, I've begun to notice how much people say, hey, and it's driving me crazy. I don't know if I didn't notice it before. People have just started saying it more. A colleague will start explaining something. And when he says, my module says, hey, the value, blah, blah, blah. I zone out after the, hey, <laughs> how do I be not so annoyed by this? Hey, in my mind, every time someone says, hey, I want to burst out into a song. This will be me interpreting the lyrics by adding melody. Your module says, hey, the Linux kernel says, hey, they all say, hey, we all say, hey, please help. I think this is a, this is like, might be a Beatles reference. Hey, hey, hey. No, I'm thinking you say hello, I say goodbye. You say goodbye, I say hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Music, yeah, this is music not a musical not podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Clearly. I had to pause your podcast to type this question after two hey's. <laughs> well, I, so now I'm wondering if he's talking about us. I think that's what that means. That's what the last sentence means. Hey. So I edited this podcast for like 100 episodes, and I got to know intimately all of my verbal tics, and I <laughs> neatly snipped them out. Um, <laughs> I say um a lot. There's there's stuff I notice. I get terrified. So so who says hey? Is it me or you? I don't know. Maybe this is a recent tick developed in the last 40 episodes. Well, let me just say this. Thanks, listener. Now I... I'm going to suffer every time I hear the word hey or say it. <sighs> when I was 11, my 10-year-old cousin told me that I said like too much. And that ruined my life for a long time. <laughs> because I didn't know before. And then I knew and it hurt every time I said it. So, But you couldn't stop, could you? I, I couldn't. All I noticed was after I said it, oh yeah, I did say that. <laughs> Ouch, a little pain. Thank you for that gift. <laughs> we will try and get better. I think the answer is you just complain to everyone and then they all improve their speech. <laughs> so, hey, I have a comment about this. <laughs> Sorry. I need a hate counter. All right, let's get to the next question. Okay. Sorry, that was... We read that one first because we can't help you. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll read questions that we can help answer now. Good luck. Do you want to read it, Dave? Sure. This comes from a listener named Sean who says, Awesome podcast. I've used your advice to better communicate with my employers, which has been super helpful. I recently was working as an intern at a company where I did quite a bit of significant work. I left to pursue a master's in CS, and I set the expectation that I would be available for questions, but not bug fixes during at least the beginning part of grad school. The company said that was totally fine, and they would take any amount of work I could give them. I've noticed some bugs that have to do with what I was working on. I feel really bad for my team having to do work on these bugs while I am not. It is getting to the point that it is distracting me during the day as I see emails and Slack messages. I want to help them, but I just don't have the time. I'm also worried that the reputation I built up of being a solid engineer is damaged. Should I apologize to my teammates that have to work on my legacy code? I have this feeling of having abandoned my team. Any thoughts on how to mitigate those feelings? It sounds like, Sean, you did the part of quitting your job where you go get a different job, but you didn't do the part where you tell (laughs) the first job that you don't work there anymore. (laughs) You're a grad student who also has a part-time lab job, so I know grad school can be pretty intense. So I imagine it's, it's well over 40 hours a week if just 20 of it is going to that lab work, maybe like 60 or 80 hours a week. So I think it's pretty clear that it's not a reasonable expectation to work another job on top of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the way Sean set it up was Sean said, I'll be available for questions and then found out, oh, crap, all my code is broken. (laughs) So (laughs) I mean, it doesn't Sean doesn't say that they actually asked him questions specifically, though. It's just like I get all these messages or emails or something. Maybe that means messages or emails specifically about my stuff. I'm guessing it's just like notifications like, oh, here's another bug. Sean's like, yeah, yeah. I wrote that if, one. If you're just hanging out in those Slack channels or you're subscribed to all the email chains, then you're going to see a lot of chatter. But I've, I've never done that after quitting a job. Yeah, I think I think you need to cut the chatter here. So uh, <laughs> I don't normally suggest this course of action, but I think head in the sand is maybe the best approach here. I would say even more than that, I think you need to go back and tell them, hey, my expectations around how much time I would have to contribute to this were off. And now that I'm into grad school, I realize it's just not going to work out. Yeah. And like, I think that the action you have taken is that you don't have time to work there and you just need to communicate that clearly. And you're feeling this dissonance between it's not possible for you to fulfill what you think the expectations they have for you are. So that's causing some stress, stress and anxiety. But if you just tell them, hey, I actually don't work there anymore, sorry, I can't help you, then I think a lot of that anxiety will go away. I've been in this situation a couple times on different sides. Once when I was a contractor, I basically quit a client and I did it softly. I didn't want to work with that client anymore. Um, And there were a bunch of reasons why, but one of them was time constraints. So I kind of mentioned like, I don't have as much time and I've got to spend it doing these other things, but I didn't hard and fast say, and I'm not going to bill you because I'm not going to work anymore there. So they left kind of with this expectation that I would be stepping back, but still around a little bit. Mm. And after a couple of weeks, I had to just own up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing anything like it's done. I've enjoyed working together, but I'm, I'm moving on to other things. And it was totally fine. I was I was worried. I think my worries were a little bit different. It was more like I didn't want to let them down, not like I didn't want to ruin my reputation for quality work with them. But it was the similar place of I felt like they had expectations for me 
and I was feeling stressed because I wasn't fulfilling them. And it all went away once I just said, you know, I, I, I can't, this is the reality and, and it'll be better to be more upfront and clear about things. But did you, did you make sure to keep Slack notifications turned on from that company so you would be aware of any bug you had written that manifested? No, heck no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Never. Just, just making sure. I, (laughs) <laughs> I fight to keep Slack notifications for my current job out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> the other situation was working on the other side where I was working with someone else and they were struggling to deliver because of some life things that they had. And and the thing they were working on was um, very low pressure. There weren't time constraints, but it was causing them a ton of stress because they had things that were making it so they couldn't produce it. And eventually they just sent an email that was, I think, the product of a lot of stress and said, hey, I actually can't do this. And it was totally fine. I appreciated them saying, I cannot do this. The working arrangement we had meant it didn't really cost anything. It was kind of, it was a pure positive to me that they're, they were feeling better and that they were clear about what they would or wouldn't be able to do instead of, uh, I would hate it if they were like ruining their life to finish my stupid feature or whatever thing they're working on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you just got to tell them and then move on with your life because you have moved on with your life already. And it shouldn't be too bad because from the question, I gather that they haven't actually come to you with questions anyway. You're just seeing these side notifications coming to you and you're worrying that, oh, crap, my stuff is breaking and I need to get on it and fix it. And I feel bad leaving it broken. Right. Yeah. Sean's also worried about the reputation. Yeah. I don't think... I don't think there's anything you can do to influence that after moving on. I think the yeah. the circle of software life is <laughs> that uh, you leave and then eventually someone who joins after you ever worked there curses your name yeah. as they read your <laughs> legacy code. That's right. And that's, if you can do better than that, then you've beaten the game. Yeah. But that's just how it works. And and also, I think as as engineers mature, they get a little more context, having created more legacy code themselves to to figure out like, hey, maybe this person was busy, not mm-hmm. an idiot or whatever. <laughs> or maybe maybe the fact that the requirements have changed in the past 10 years means that this decision they made 10 years ago wasn't actually horrible. It was just the best decision at the time. Yeah. So I, but but I wouldn't be worried if if you feel like you produced value for them. I don't think people are going to be like that jerk, Sean. <laughs> how could he do something so stupid as to write a bug in his code <laughs> it's good it's true and this i think is a good opportunity for you sean to internalize this notion this empathy right for next time when you stumble upon crappy code left by coworkers who are no longer with the company now you can say yeah i've done that too it's cool we're all in this together yeah but yeah. You know, but really, if you want to trace this all the way back to the root cause, it's because you wrote bugs, which means <laughs> you need to purchase services from one of our no bugs driven development coaches, which we've proposed this new methodology a, a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's a great idea. Uh, it just so happens that Dave and I are the only two coaches <laughs> certified by the no bugs driven development Consortium. methodology. <laughs> yeah. And... Those certifications do not come cheap, I will tell you. I had to write a lot of bugs before I get them all out of my system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've quit a lot of jobs. <laughs> James and I know has too. 
And I don't, I can't think of a Maybe time. Maybe the same amount as you, even though I've worked a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be right. I think I've quit about five or six jobs. And I can never remember being aware of bugs after I left. I know they were there. I know I wrote them. Because at the time, I wasn't subscribed to the No Bugs Driven Development Methodology. Yeah, that was that was in your unenlightened <laughs> <Yeah>. days. <laughs> it was a long time ago. But uh, I never have had one follow me. And I think maybe only once I've even had a question come up. And I will say on the other side of that coin where I am at a company and someone has left and left us with bugs, one time we sought out that person to bring them in to see if they could help us fix it. And you know what? They didn't. We ended up having to fix it ourselves. And yeah. like, they just couldn't figure it out. And I, and I realized like, if you take someone who has left the company, they're slowly, their brain is purging all these now irrelevant memories and they're just not going to be the, uh, that helpful. And, you know, they wrote the bug in the first place, probably because of some false assumptions. And then now they're forgetting stuff. And then you try to bring them back and help. They're just not going to be that helpful anyway. So you're just kind of on your own. And I think that's pretty common. I've asked one person, or, or my team has asked one person for, for one question when they already left, but I think it was mildly helpful. It wasn't outrageously helpful, but it, I agree that it's not like, I don't think it's a fixed assumption or, or a common assumption rather to say people are responsible for maintaining their code after they leave. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think companies expect when you leave, you're just going to go and we're going to deal with it. And I've never had that blow up and become a major issue. That's why they don't pay you anymore. <laughs> We're cutting you <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I don't know, maybe you're on retainer or something. That's that's a thing that yeah. sometimes happens. Yeah. I have done that. I have stayed back for a couple of months um, with like an hourly rate. And uh, I was actually, but it actually, in my case, it had a very specific target objective. Like we were trying to transition ownership of a piece of software we had developed that we were selling to some other company and I was the one with the most expertise on the software and so I was helping lead the transition and I quit you know right before the transition was happening but I stayed on in order to help facilitate the transition and that was more just for continuity of that of that transaction and not so much just to stick around to fix bugs in fact I didn't fix any bugs I just stuck around and helped transfer the software so even in that situation it's like yeah the company maybe could have done it without me so yeah, I, I would feel I would do exactly what Jameson suggested, which is what I always do. And I, <laughs> I, I would go straight to back to that company and say, I thought I could help. I just don't have the time. You haven't asked me any questions anyway. So let's let's end the relationship now. It's been great working with you. Maybe we'll work together in the future when I'm done with my degree. Yeah, that sounds great. And when I'm a master, when I have my master's degree, I'll come back and I this time I won't write any bugs. <laughs> that's one of the courses yeah there's some advanced math involved that's why they don't teach it until the master's level exactly um, we're really good at distilling it down though without <laughs> needing a master's so <laughs> yeah be sure to take the no bugs driven development graduate course <laughs> while it still exists because we're coming for them <laughs> they're not licensed <laughs> we have an army of attorneys waiting in the wings <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've been trained in the legal equivalent, which is no lose case driven <laughs> legaling. What's the verb there? Litigation. <laughs> no loss, no loss driven litigation methodology. Yep. 
Yeah, it applies to lots of things. The best way to win cases is not to lose cases. <laughs> You've hit at the core of the genius. <laughs> We're going to branch out to sporting sporting events too, you know, like <laughs> scoring points driven I, I basketball. I think they actually already are pretty established in there because they talk a lot about just wanting it more. And that's really the key to the no bugs driven methodology is you just want to write bugs less and then it happens. <laughs> Um, oh it's kind of like the secret. Are you familiar with the secret? Oh, I am. Okay. Well, then we don't need to explain to people. That's what like the, the most is, the most poorly named concept ever. <laughs> <laughs> or genius. It's called the secret. So you want to know about it, and then you find out you have to buy this book and buy this DVD <laughs> set. And I don't know. But then everybody knows about it. Something. Yeah. Oh, well. But you're part of the secret club. That's true. That everyone else is part of too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we answered the question. <laughs> I Clearly we did. We would like to bring you a message from our sponsor for this show, Pluralsight. I knew that I was not great with CSS, but thanks to Pluralsight, I got to learn exactly how not great I am with one of their skill IQ skill assessments. I was not surprised to learn that 50% of engineers are better than me at CSS. Uh, listen, Dave, I've got some bigger numbers. 71% of engineers are better than me at CSS, <laughs> according to this assessment. <laughs> so there's some nifty stuff going on when you take it, besides the shaming it did to me. Um, the algorithm adapts the difficulty of the assessment to how you respond. So if it if it's too tricky, if you get a lot of answers wrong, then it makes the questions easier and vice versa too. And they're using item response theory, Bayesian stats, machine learning, data science, that kind of stuff. Oh, I could tell it was dumbing the test down for me the more I took it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about this first of all because it's it's kind of cool to uh learn where you are lacking but also Pluralsight is hiring to work on this kind of thing they're hiring folks to work on machine learning data science and engineering that's right so i actually know a few people who work at Pluralsight, um, and they say that it's a really great place to work they have openings in salt lake city and boston and Pluralsight was voted the 18th best company to work for in the u.s by fortune magazine if you want to check out the open jobs, go to pluralsight.com slash soft skills. That'll take you to a special page just for soft skills engineering podcast listeners. That's P-L-U-R-A-L-S-I-G-H-T dot com slash soft skills. Check it out. Thank you, Pluralsight. On to the next one. I'm going to read it. I work as a software engineer at a 10-person software agency. During my last review, my manager rejected my salary raise proposal, arguing that I had reached the top level for my current position. He said that to get a raise, I would have to act as a project manager to get commission for new projects I acquire. I feel conflicted since even though I like the idea of upping my game, I do not know much about handling this kind of situation with clients. What is your recommendation for developers getting out of the world of code and into the world of people? Bonus question, ideas on how to get new projects from clients? Well, I have news for you. You have not reached the top of your salary at your current position. Wait, no, sorry. You have reached the top level for your current position. You're just in the wrong position. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry. Okay, so I'm going to be a little You, you know what we haven't said in a long time? What? Quit your job. Quit your job. <laughs> quit your job. And get a new one. Used to be our theme music. Yeah. So this, this might sound a little snarky, but if you've topped out at an agency, you're performing well, you like engineering it's probably time to go check out other job opportunities at not agencies. Look for tech companies, 
companies whose main business is software development and product development, companies that aren't uh, cranking out, you know, websites and stuff for, you know, 10 week projects that are over and, you, you know, you turn it around from zero to done in 10 weeks and then you walk on to the next project. Companies that actually run long term software development product efforts. And I think you'll find that if you want to make more money, you can very easily by stepping out of the agency ecosystem and into the software product development ecosystem. I want to be clear about the alternative here too. This is a move into sales, not just project management. I mean, there will certainly be some project management involved, but they're offering to pay you on commission based on the new business you acquire. Yeah. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. That's not what I I want to do. (laughs) And that's very different from software. Uh, So I think you have to realize that's the decision ahead of you. It's it's a career change into sales with some project management involved in it as well. Yeah, I mean, you really read between the lines here. And another way to say what the boss said was, I'm not going to pay you more, but if you want more money, go bring in more business to our company and you'll get a portion of that business as compensation. So he's basically sure. saying, do what you want to do, bring more money to the, to the company and the company will give you some of that money. And that's actually a pretty reasonable thing to do, right? Like, and it's a pretty reasonable thing for your boss to say because it means he doesn't have to generate any new new money for you, right? It all comes from you. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I think there's probably greener pastures for you. Yeah, I want to be clear that I'm not saying sales sucks. I'm saying I would be miserable <laughs> doing that. So I'm kind of answering with that perspective, especially moving into that field without prior experience. There's There's got to be people already trying to do that at the company and now you're kind yeah. of competing with them with while trying to pick up the skill set. I don't know. This does not sound like my jam. I don't think this sounds like this listener's jam either because I think the boss basically stonewalled the raise and said, if you want more money, you're on, you're completely on your own. I, I don't like it. If you want more money, I know a guy who's got a great deal on some real estate property. <laughs> I guess you could watch Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. I believe that movie is about sales. And, and that's <laughs> Never all heard I know of that. about it. Always be closing. That's the source of, of that. Oh. And coffee is for closers. No. <laughs> I know that. I know those. Are but right. I haven't seen it either. I've just seen like two minutes of it on YouTube. Okay. And I also don't know anything about sales. So <laughs> there you go. That's the sum total of my sales advice. So surprise, but surprise. Yeah, this is we're a, guiding you away from this. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to do it, um, go get advice that's about how to be better at sales. But I would not want to do this. And I agree with Dave that there's there's a much higher salary ceiling at a pure tech role at a pure tech company, purely tech company, not, not at an agency. Mm-hmm. Now, having said all that, Jameson, you do have some experience drumming up clients when you were doing freelancing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Share your great wisdom. I have thought about at the time I was thinking about expanding that to become more than just me and then and then it'd be even more drumming up clients. It was hard for me because I don't naturally like to brag about how awesome I am. And it turns out sales is a lot of telling people how great of a job you'll do at things. <laughs> and and that I struggled with that a little bit. The other thing that helped was having sort of a public reputation as someone who knows things about tech through podcasts and Twitter and conference Mm -hmm. speaking and stuff like that. So 
I, I think that would help. I know a lot of agency branding work is around establishing your agency as someone that produces really high quality work. Some people focus more on the technical side. So there are agencies that try to get known as kind of Ruby on Rails experts and speak at a lot of conferences or they pick a problem like testing and focus on that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of more technical sales stuff. Maybe there's some integration there between things you're interested in and ways to bring in more clients. But uh, again, the, those are the kind of problems you will spend your day thinking about. And if that's not what you want to think about, then don't do that. If, if you want to build systems and, and write code, then get a job that pays more doing that because you can. My, I have a gut feeling that's not backed up by any data though, uh, but maybe I should say it out loud to make it explicit. Mm -hmm. I feel like salaries at tech companies are generally higher than at agencies. Is that, yeah. does that align with your gut, Dave? Do your guts point in that direction? My data gut says that's, I think that's true. And it, that's actually based on uh, several anecdotes from people who have entered the industry from no ex from a position of no experience. And they've gone into agencies and they've shared with me their salaries and probably half a dozen folks that I've followed. And then, you know, as they progress and become successful, they move on and make a lot more money. I'm sure there are exceptions too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But generally, I think that's pretty well accepted. And, and yeah, I, I think also just to drive that point home without without data but when you consider the the uh, more guts yeah. put some more guts in there <laughs> in the absence of data we're going to fill in with guts <laughs> <laughs> just just consider the skill set of a of a stereotypical agency developer you know it's typically a little narrower than a product development team who's got to run uh, who's got to build a product from scratch run it for potentially years uh, as opposed to an agency, typical agency projects are like media driven, their marketing, their website, static content, things like that. You know, maybe some WordPress plugins here and there, but it just doesn't involve typical full cycle engineering skill sets that are often common in these more like uh, prominent tech companies. It probably depends on the agency. I mean, I know there's yeah. some, cons or con there are some contracting shops that, that do a little bit more dev for higher work. And then I think there's also... I might argue the opposite point where with an agency, since you're jumping from project to project, you might do wildly different things mm -hmm. from each project where on a product team long-term, you, you focus a little bit more on a tech stack and a problem yeah, domain. For sure. That's absolutely true. You get locked there, in. I mean, there are lots of trade-offs, but I do agree that the salary just gut feels a little bit higher in uh, away from agencies in general. And to be fair, I'm, I'm actually thinking more of like media marketing agencies you know, ad agencies, oh, okay. that kind of thing. Not so much about sure. dev for hire contract work where you'll have, you know, iOS experts that are building mobile apps as their main, you know, main source of work for companies that may contract with them for years. Like that, that's effectively the same as product yeah. development. I'm thinking more on the other side though, like these media, media companies. Yeah. The other question this question asker asked was, what is your recommendation for developers getting out of the world of code and into the world of people? And I think that's an extraordinarily valuable skill set, no matter what you end up doing, being mm -hmm. able to talk to customers more or talk to business people more or, or even understand salespeople more and what their motivations are. I think that would serve you well, no matter what you ended up doing, yeah. even if you decide to focus purely on software or purely on this move to project management. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy. You don't have to get out of the world of code to get into the world of people. You'll be a more effective engineer if even if you stay in engineering, like Jameson said, by developing your communication and people skills. Absolutely true. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing you can just do by asking questions and being interested in it. If you have a project manager, you can kind of ask them why they do things or what what they're trying to solve when they do certain things. Mm -hmm. Not in like a, I know how to code, so every problem is easy, <laughs> even problems I know nothing about way. It's kind of the engineer's disease we, we get sometimes, <laughs> but just a genuine curiosity way. There's There's a lot to learn from people that do this more fully. Yeah, and unlike engineering skills, my people skills are not something that I have set out to explicitly train. So I don't actually have great advice for how to develop these kind of things, which is a little ironic given the name of our podcast. But <laughs> Uh-oh. Shut it down. <laughs> the truth is out. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I I don't know very much about project management, but I know enough to know it's hard and it's deep. It's a complex domain and... I like learning more about it because I feel like I'm very weak there. And there are, there are smart people that I kind of follow and talk to online that I learn from. But I don't have like Jameson's five weird tricks to get better at getting clients or running a project or anything like that. Yeah. You won't believe number three. It's uh, silent. It cannot <laughs> be spoken out loud. <laughs> you have to license our, uh, you have to license number three. <laughs> Oh, I was talking more about great magic, but you're talking about like legal magic. Yeah. <laughs> Is there I'll a difference really? Sufficiently complex contracts are indistinguishable from magic. Exactly. Didn't Arthur C. Clarke say that? <laughs> yes, he did. Arthur C. Clarke, <laughs> where, who in an alternative universe was a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. All right. What can people do if they want their own questions answered? Hit us up on softskills.audio and click on Ask a Question where you can fill out a form with as much or as little information as you'd like. Thank you so much to those who have filled out that form and given us an unending list of questions that flow in every week. We really appreciate you. What can people do if they want to support the show? Go to softskills.audio, click support us on Patreon. Or just tell people about it. Share it. Share it with your friends, enemies, people you don't even know. <laughs> but be careful approaching strangers. <laughs> yep. All right, catch you next week.